Guys, it's, uh, as we just said, it's an exciting time in the, the life of our church. You know, last week, we, we got to announce that, that after, man, months of praying, since we launched this church, we announced last week that we have our first ever church planning candidate, that David and, and Steffi Livingston and their son Silas, they actually just put their home up on the market on like Sunday night, sold it on Monday for like asking price. Like, you know, it's just like little things like that that you can't help but to think like, okay, God is like wanting them to come to Madison. And so they're gonna be coming here in the next couple weeks with, with the hope of, of starting and planting our first church in the next three years. And, and as you just talked about, as we just talked about, you just saw we got, a, we got this building to make for ourselves a, a permanent home here. Guys, it's, God is doing some like really just amazing things in the life of our church. And, and honestly, like in the midst of like all of our brokenness, it just causes us to just stop and just kind of say, okay, like we got to get out of the way and just get in the passenger seat and make sure we don't screw this thing up and just ask God to just help us just stay there and just let him drive us forward. And, you know, in the midst of this, in, in God's providence, I think this all lined up in just like beautiful timing as we're starting a, a new teaching series today that we've titled 16 Words. All right, and if you've been around Doxa, you know kind of our, our propensity is just to kind of go through books of the Bible, just kind of one by one, right? And we're actually going to do this in about five weeks. We're going to start the book of Acts, which is going to take us the, the better part of a year. But today we're, we're going to do something a little bit different, all right? And, and by way of introduction, let me say this, okay? When it comes to this, uh, this new chapter of our, of our Doxa story, all right, as we, as we get this building, guys, there's, there's three predominant uh, emotions that, that I'm feeling that I'm, that I'm having, okay? You know, the first is, is I have like extreme confidence, right? That as I've prayed about this, as our elders and our staff have, have prayed about this, I'm confident that this is actually our next step forward, that God has solidified this. He's, he's brought together so many different random things that have just made this happen, that there is just like a lot of confidence that we clearly see the hand of God moving us forward in this. But along with that, guys, there's also just excitement, of what God is going to do in this new chapter of our church, all right, to see how God continues to, to bring our church to be a church that's actually glorifying him and, and bringing good to the city around us as we step into this new building. But, but I'll also say this, guys, okay, along with these things, there's simultaneously like this very real fear in me about this building. And here's my fear. It's, it's that we would somehow think that this building is the point, that we would somehow think that like we've kind of like arrived and, and we've accomplished our mission of, of planting a church here in Madison. All right, my biggest fear with this journey is that we'll forget why we exist. Because here's the thing, guys. This building is no doubt a gift, but it's never been the goal. We need to be like abundantly clear on that. That our goal in starting this church in this city was, was never to, to get a building. But the goal of every gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving church is to make disciples. It's not, there we go. Hey, we're working on this like responding thing. There we, you know, if you knew, you're like, you know, I don't get it. I've been trying to like get us to talk back and forth. That's awesome. <laughs> now, where the heck was I? No, <laughs> right? But it, it's to make disciples. This is the goal. And, and, and really, guys, this is not just like my take on the matter. This is like we stand under the authority of the Bible. Right? And this is Jesus' words. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. It's going to come up here on the screen. Here's how Jesus puts it. Here's the goal. It just says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Guys, and this is ultimately what every church who loves, worships, serves, and follows Jesus should be about. Jesus says to make disciples. This is the emphasis. It's, it's not on go, but the emphasis is on to make disciples. This is the goal. And when he's talking about this, guys, this goal of making disciples, Jesus isn't just talking about like teaching a curriculum or giving people like a, a bunch of head knowledge and, and teaching good doctrine. Because what happens when we do that is, is sure, we get people that are, that are really well-informed, but we don't teach people how to eat and drink and play and recreate and, and work, right, with, with intentionality for the purpose of seeing Jesus glorified everywhere. This is the goal. And that's why when we think about the church, because we should never think about a building. It's a family. It's the family of God on the mission of God to make disciples as we make much of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Because here's what you need to know. Because the majority of your life is not gonna be spent in a building on Sunday mornings. The majority of your life is outside the gathered church as you parent, as you walk through life, right, as you work, as you just do the everyday stuff of life. And so I say all that to say this, guys, through the next several weeks, we're gonna reinforce why we exist as a church so that, hear this, we can enjoy this building, we can be excited about this building, but we can stay focused on our goal as a church, to make disciples for the glory of God and the good of this city that we love. So that's the goal of this series, to help with all of that, okay? So I'm gonna pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in, okay? So God, I'm just honored, I'm excited, first and foremost, to just be your kid, that you love me, that we sing that song, that you, you found me, you rescued me. I'm thankful that there's so many stories like that here this morning. Thanks for what you're doing with this church. As I, I gotta just pray that you would just like impress on us what is the most significant thing Help us not to, to forget why we exist as a church. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that as we open up the Bible that you would just speak to us and teach us something. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 16 words. 16 words that describe the way our church uniquely seeks to fulfill Jesus' great commission to make disciples. And here are those 16 words. It's up here on the screen. If you're a note taker, I want to encourage you guys all to write this down. Like, this is why we exist sharing the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. All right, this is in fact why our church exists. And these 16 words, they drive everything that we do. And really it's our desire that this would become kind of like the, the woven fabric, the, the rhythms of every single one of our lives here in the Doxa family in this, in this city. And so go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to 1 Thessalonians, okay? If you don't have a Bible, you've been with us, you're visiting, we have a bunch of Bibles on the welcome table. You can grab one as our, our gift to you. But, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to open up the Bible and see what God has to say. But while you get to 1 first, Thessalonians, I'm going to say this, okay? Over the next several weeks, we're just going to take these 16 words all right, our mission statement, and just really just kind of break it down, really for, with the goal of that we could all be on the, the same page as to why we exist as we move forward seeking to be the church that, that God intends us to be. And, and we're rooting this series in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 because this has been, guys, just an intensely formational passage for, that has shaped our church. And it really derives a lot of, of what we do and how we do it. That what Paul is going to share with us this morning has greatly influenced me as a, as a man of God. It's the way that I seek to, to live my life. It's the way that really I seek to disciple other people around me. And it's really shaped our 16 words that's driving Doxa 
forward. And so today we're going to look at the first three words, all right, sharing the gospel. So sharing the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. Those first three words, they're so incredibly important. If we miss this, if we miss this, guys, we're really going to miss out on, on how God truly has for us to live as, as a family. And so here is, is what Paul says. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to start in, in verse 7. All right, and this is Paul. He's writing to this church in the city of Thessalonica. He's talking about the way that he went about doing ministry, how he lived his life amongst these people. And here is, here is what he says, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. I want you to circle, share with you and the gospel of God in your Bible but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So guys, why does Doxa Church exist? Our first three words, sharing the gospel. As you read the Bible, as you read the New Testament, specifically if you read Paul's letters, you'll see that it's abundantly clear that the gospel is kind of just the driving force of the mission of God. And to help us to understand this, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to answer two questions today. Number one, what is the gospel? And number two, what does the gospel do? And we can't miss, these, these are large, guys, this is going to help us to understand why we exist as a church and to keep the main thing the main thing. All right, so the first thing, the first question Guys, what is the gospel? And honestly, there is so much that we can say about this. I mean, we just wrapped up a 12-week teaching series through Romans 5 through 8, talking about gospel doctrine, which is this good news that drives everything about our, our family here at Doxa. But in order for us to be abundantly clear on this, guys, the gospel is this, okay? There is one God. He's the creator of everything. He's created us all in his Im image, meaning you've never locked eyes with someone that doesn't mean a significant amount to God. That every single person in this world, all people, we spent a year going through Luke's gospel, and the whole emphasis was that the gospel is good news for all people. All people, born or unborn, have dignity, value, worth, and purpose. And he made us all. He made us all to worship and to be in relationship with him. But instead of choosing God, we choose sin. Every single one of us has that the biggest problem in every one of our lives, guys, is not monetary, it's not relational, it's not occupational. You need to know that it's sin. And sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is that sin separates. And because of sin in our life, we exist separated from God. And we live under the foolish myth that to some degree or another, we are in fact our own gods. Then we decide what is right and wrong. We decide what is true and false and good and bad, right? And, and we do this. We, we put ourselves in the place of God and we do as we please. If you're honest enough, I mean, maybe this is just a me thing, but I can even as a Christian man, as a man of God, I can put myself and I can fall into sin where I start to believe like the world revolves around me. And we look at this, guys, the world is filled with this. I mean, this, the shootings that happened in El Paso, in Dayton, I mean, in, down in Texas, I mean, this is just the height of evil. It's white supremacy going after people that are different. It's disgusting. There's no room for that in the world. God came and he's going to crush that. He's, he's in the process of restoring all things. This is what sin does. It just destroys it destroys humanity. It destroys our relationship with God. And we see these violent acts, and it violates something in us. I mean, you see the number of people that are just killed 
and, and it just stirs in us because it's not the way that life is supposed to be. It's a result of sin. And this type of evil has been going on since the fall of mankind when sin came into the world. But hear this, guys, in the midst of this, in the midst of this just cosmic rebellion from humanity, God lovingly came into human history as the man Jesus Christ to ultimately fix things. That he lived a perfect life that I can't live. He died a death that I should have died. And he was killed in my place for my sin as my substitute. That in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they substituted themselves for God. On the cross, as Jesus died, he reversed that substitution, becoming a substitute for me and you, sinners. Guys, this is the gospel that we love. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that we sing. This is the gospel that we live. This is the gospel that we can never and we will never move past. And, and I know, guys, in, in a room this size, that not all of us see the gospel in that way. I know not all of us, we, you guys don't, some of you, you don't see Jesus quite like that. And if that's you, let me just say this. I'm so glad that you're here. I love that you're part of like the Doxa family. One of the greatest joys and honors and privileges of my life is to teach you the Bible. But the gospel for you this morning is this, is that the thing that brought you here, the thing that continues to bring you to Doxa week after week is actually not a thing but a person and his name is Jesus. And he's brought you here to break into your life, to show you who he is, to show you something of yourself so that he can break out of your life with a new reality and a future hope through faith in Jesus. That he wants to save you from your sin. He wants to save you from yourself. He wants to give you all the blessings that come from his righteousness and perfection. He wants to bring you to God. And this is why our church exists, to see people meet Jesus. And look, I don't know exactly what's going on in, in every single one of your lives, but I do know this. Because if you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. Just like me, just like every single person in this room and in this city. But the most important thing, more important than anything, more important than everything, is that you know Jesus. And I want you to know that, guys, God doesn't just love the large number of Christians in this room or the large number of Christians gathered in churches throughout this city. He doesn't just love large numbers. He loves faces. He loves you. He loves you. And he's got a plan to seek you and to serve you and to save you. Not because you're great, but because he's great. And this is what the gospel is all about and what our church is about. All right, that if we're about two things, it's Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is it. It's the gospel. Now, because as we talk about this gospel, I want you to notice something in Paul's wording. Look back to verse 8. All right, Paul doesn't just talk about the gospel, but he says something way more specific. All right, if you, if you look at this, look what he says. He says, it's the gospel of God. And this is one of those things that, you know, as you're reading the Bible, you can just kind of skim over and say, okay, yeah, the gospel. But this should cause us to stop, that Paul says that this gospel that he shares and this gospel that he proclaims, it's not from man. All right, it's not this self-originated idea that he had, but it's the gospel of God. And up until this week, as I was studying this, I don't think I ever really noticed how often Paul uses this language. Look back to verse 2. Scan back there. He talks about this idea of, of declaring the gospel of God. Verse 8, sharing the gospel of God. Verse 9, 
proclaiming the gospel of God. It's this striking truth, guys, that should cause us to stop and ponder that God, Paul is not just sharing the, the gospel of truth or the gospel of hope or the gospel of peace, but God's gospel. It's God's gospel as opposed to every other human philosophy or idea, that it's his, that he owns it, he authored it, it belongs to him. And I, and I wonder if we realize, if you realize today, what an incredible gift it is to have this gospel. Because we, we live in a day of, of relativism and, and pluralism where everything is more or less relative, where people ask, well, how do you know for certain that you're right? And the truth is, guys, if it were our gospel, we wouldn't. We don't build our lives, we don't build our church on this gospel because we think that we're, we're smarter than the average person. We don't think that we're more insightful and we have some type of like ability to tune into the spiritual. It's, it's none of that. We believe this is the truth of God because it's his gospel. He authored it, and this changes everything. It's not from man, but it's from God. And guys, when we understand this, it gives us security. It gives us certainty, and ultimately it provides for us a hope for a beautiful eternity. And you know, this was highlighted to me this, this past week. Um, I was in a coffee shop and ended up talking to a guy. You know those times, I don't know if you do this, but you're at a coffee shop, you're kind of working, and like you're you're thinking about something, you kind of daze off in the distance. Does anybody ever do that? And then you realize like, that you're like making eye contact with somebody. Like, right? And so I was just sitting there like thinking about this sermon actually. And I'm like looking and all of a sudden I see this guy going. Right? And I'm like, oh crap, right? And so it's at that point, I'm like, it's already awkward. Might as well say hi. And I'm like, hey. And so he kind of like came over and sat by me and he asked me what I was working on, and I was like, oh, man, do I tell him the truth? Like, this is going to be weird, but it already is weird, so okay. So I told him about this sermon. I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm writing a sermon right now. And, and he was like, oh, okay. And we started talking, okay, and uh, he started telling me about his beliefs, and I was just asking him, like, what he believed, and, and he started telling me that he believes that, like, life and, and eternity are all about, like, having integrity and respect and, and living with, like, extreme benevolence. And I was listening to him, and, and I just asked him, I was like, man, like, this is kind of like what I'm talking about this week. Like, what gives you such certainty that, that you're right, that what, you, what you're believing on is true? And, and as he started to explain himself, he started to quote Confucius, this ancient philosopher. And he had a lot, a lot of things to say that Confucius had said. And, and I asked him, not in like an argumentative way, but just like literally, I'm like, man, you got to help me understand this because... Does it concern you at all that you're basing like your entire life, your eternity, I mean like a long time, man, like eternity, on the words of, yes, a brilliant philosopher, but a man nonetheless? Like, does that like bother you at all? And we started talking, I was like, honestly, man, that's, that's scary for me. Because the reality is, is that there have been many men and women who have said great things about the truth of life. I mean, men like Mike Buddha and Muhammad, Joseph Smith, these, these men who are just ordinary men that, that have elevated themselves or been elevated to something more than just an ordinary guy, and they, they have elevated themselves to like these prophets and these, these types of, of God. There are millions of, of pages written in books that seek to give us good news, but guys, they're all from the minds and the mouths of men. All of the religions of the world, apart from Christianity, are based on the teachings of of man, as we stand on the gospel of God, not man, and there's security in this. 
And I'll even say this for you, like doxa, like when you're asked like what you believe, like you shouldn't just like say, hey, you know what? My pastor says this. No, it's the gospel. It's not my words. It's the gospel of God. The gospel is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. And this is why we exist as a church. And without the gospel, guys, we cannot be with God. We won't be his church. And we won't be able to make disciples as Jesus intends. And so what is the gospel? Guys, it's the most important thing in your life. It's the good news of the saving work of Jesus for your salvation, which is authored by God. Now, our second question as it relates to these first three words of sharing the gospel is this, is what does the gospel do? And here's the answer, guys. I want you to write this down. The gospel moves people. It moves people. And it moves people in two primary directions. First, the gospel moves people towards God. We're talking about this idea of what is the gospel. It moves people towards God. But to be clear on this, look ahead to chapter five, all right? One, one page over, all right? Remember when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, this is just like a cohesive thought right, that they would bring this letter and they would read it. And so he's, he's making a point with this whole letter. It's not like chapter one was read on Monday and chapter two was read next Thursday. It's like this was just read. And so this is a cohesive thought. And in chapter five, Paul says this in verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, and I want you to circle this next part, we might live with him. Live with him. Guys, this is the issue, that on our own, we're destined for wrath and eternal separation from God because of sin in our life. You just need to know that about your reality. This is not me up here like being like an angry preacher, just like throwing Bibles and stuff, right? Like this is me just talking as a sinful man to sinful men and women, saying that this is the truth of what we live in. We all need Jesus. Because Jesus moves us towards God. He brings us to God and he keeps us with God through faith. And Paul, you look back, he calls the salvation that Jesus saves us from our sin. He saves us from eternal separation. He allows us to move towards God. He says to live with him, both here and now and for eternity. The gospel is this incredibly good news that he moved, that Jesus moves people towards God. Now go back to chapter two, verse seven. The second way in which the gospel moves people is this, is that the gospel moves people towards people. So people towards God and people towards people. Look back, verse seven. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. A big thing, share with you, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Guys, I want you to think about the apostle Paul's journey to this point as he wrote 1 Thessalonians. All right, he wasn't always moving towards people to share the gospel of God. In fact, he was going after the people of God to imprison them and to kill them. The first time we meet Paul is in Acts chapter seven. I'm not gonna share too much of that because in a couple months we'll be in Acts and we'll be talking about this. But in Acts chapter seven, we meet Paul. His name is Saul. He's overseeing the execution of an early Christian leader named Stephen. Stephen is, is killed. He's murdered. He's executed. Paul is standing there saying, this is good. He's overseeing it. In Acts chapter 8, he describes himself as one who has ravaged the church, that he's going after people. I mean, in a lot of ways, like Paul is doing what just happened last night. That type of just craziness 
But we know the story. In Acts chapter nine, he meets Jesus. He accepts the gospel by faith. Jesus changes his life, changes his mission, and he moves Paul from being a persecutor of the church to a pastor and a planter of many churches. And with Paul's story, guys, we see what the gospel does. It moves people towards people just like Jesus. The gospel took Paul the persecutor and made him Paul the pastor that he went from hating people and killing people to now look at verse seven. He's gentle among people that that Paul literally walked journeys to these different cities like Thessalonica and he walked there to move towards these people to give them something and he was gentle among them. He loved them. This language that he uses, he was like a nursing mother, that type of love, right? That he's giving of himself in this way. He says he's affectionately desirous. Like this is like the opposite that Paul was, but this is what the gospel does. It changes us. It doesn't just change your relationship with God, but it changes your heart towards people, moving you to love people just as Jesus loves people. And guys, I'll, I'll say this. Right? I know some of us, I've, I've done this in the past where we joke and we're like, man, I love God, but I just hate people, right? You're like, this world would be so much greater if there was no people, just me, right? And some of you, you joke about that, and I get it, right? People are annoying sometimes, but, but guys, I'll, I'll say this. If you don't love people and you're a Christian, there is something off in your relationship with God. Because you need to know this, that the vertical totally affects the horizontal. That you can't say that I love vertically, I love God with everything I have. You can't come in here and raise your hands and clap and say amen and do all this stuff and have this great vertical relationship with God and go out and hate on the horizontal. Something doesn't match. Something is broken. You don't get it. The gospel leads us to love people. And here's what this looked like for Paul. Look back. Yes, he he cared for people. He served people, but primarily, what did he do? He shared. He shared the gospel in his life with people. That his primary job was to take the message of God, the gospel of God, and deliver it to the people whom God loves. Because if the, if the biggest problem in our life is sin, the most important remedy is the gospel. It's the only hope that we have. And so, yes, guys, I'm not negating like meeting people where they're at and being generous and helping people and feeding people. Like, I'm not saying that. We should be loving people by giving them tangible things to improve their present circumstances. But you need to hear this, guys. If all you engage in as a Christian is like social reform, you just need to know that, yes, you're, in, you're impacting people's present reality, but their eternity is still hanging. The gospel is the only thing that saves. And so Paul, he shares the gospel it's the most important endeavor that we had. It's the mission of God. And when we look at Paul, guys, if you study the life of Paul, you see that he just went to as many people as he possibly could. He gave his life to deliver this message that God saves sinners and Jesus loves people. And here's what you need to know, because this is the mark of every true Christian, that you love people like that, that you love them enough to share this gospel and you open your mouth. And guys, this is love language. I mean, Paul is 
using love language here for Paul, the love of Jesus found in the gospel of God, it caused him to have this type of love that he didn't have this. And then he encounters Jesus and, and Jesus that kind of just came in and power washed his soul, gave him a new heart as the Bible talks about and moved him forward towards people. And he goes to the city in Thessalonica and he opens up his life and he says, I'm gentle among you. Here I am like a nursing mother. I'm giving you everything I have in this gospel. And I want you to know, guys, that the gospel in your life will be manifested by the way that you love people. And your love for people will be evidenced by your willingness to share the gospel in your life, just like Jesus, just like Paul. It's the height of love. But here's how this works, okay? This has to be initiated by people who have been profoundly impacted by the radical love of Jesus through the gospel of God. Because this is why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church. That Paul, he has this radical experience with, with Jesus. He comes to faith. God changes him. We, every time we open the Bible, as we have an encounter with God, we're hearing from God, we're experiencing God, and we seek to be a Bible-saturated church so that we can continually have our affections stirred for God, so we want to follow him. And our love is stirred for people because these are the people that Jesus loves and wants to save. And he's not being like tactical, okay? Paul is not like this general of an army, right? That has like this map and he's like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna share the gospel in our lives. We're gonna put five people over here, 10 people, right? It's, he's not being tactical. This is an emotional thing. He's saying that the love is just driving him. Look how he puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. This is what Paul says. For the love of Christ controls us. In other translations, it, it, the word is compel. It pushes us forward. This is the driving force. It's Jesus in us. The love of Jesus pushes us and compels us to do all things because why? Because we have concluded this, the gospel, that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He says that the gospel does this. And so even practically, guys, if, if you're in this place of like, man, I don't, I don't love people like that, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel is the, the driving force that will push you forward into the men and women that God has created you to be that will do that for our church. And we don't share the gospel, guys, as, as superior people talking to inferior people, but as a dying beggar who has found food to eat that's talking now to other dying beggars of where to find the thing that they need to live. This is our posture. Because every time I, I teach the Bible, be it here on a Sunday or, or at a conference with thousands of people or a youth group with 20 annoying kids. I say to myself and remind me myself of, of this. I, I, I share the words of the Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter. He said this, I, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. This is our posture as we live like Jesus, for Jesus, and share Jesus with the people around us that Jesus loves. And here's what I want you to know, guys. As we watch Paul do ministry in 1 Thessalonians 2 right here, you need to know this. Write this down. God uses people to save people. God saves people. But if you want to boil Christianity down, here's one way to do it. God saves sinners, right? He saves that we can speak about the Savior, we can serve on behalf of the Savior, but only God can save. Where's the amen? Right? 
There we go. He saves. So we can speak, we can serve, but only he can save. And I know that some of you, you you're, 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 you're Bible geeks, you're, you love theology, and you would be really reformed in your theology, and you go, I believe in the sovereignty of God. He's powerful, and, and he doesn't need me to do what he wants to do. And, and to some degree, I would say, okay, I, I agree with you, but I would also say this, guys, he loves you. And so he wants to involve you in his work so that you can share in his joy. Think of it like this, okay, I'm a dad, all right? And there's things that, that I do that I involve my kids in, even though I don't need them to help, right? It's like I'm outside fixing something. It's like, yeah, Titus, three-year-old, here, grab that saw. You're going to really help me, right? But I include him. I invite him in to do that because what brings me joy as a dad is inviting him to come work with me, to share in my joy. It's kind of like that, guys. If you're a Christian, you're the loved son and daughter of God. That God can save people without you, but he invites you and he's chosen to use you to be part of his process. And so we speak and we serve, but Jesus, he saves. And we get to share in his joy as we just proclaim and we watch him save people and save sinners. And one of the greatest joys in life, guys, is leading people to Jesus, seeing them come from death to life. I hope you've experienced this. If you haven't, guys, I literally pray for you I pray for Doxa all the time, you, that you would have this joy. I mean, since coming to this city just over a year ago, I mean, I've had many opportunities just to, to share the gospel and to, to lead people to Jesus and watch God save them apart from my brokenness. And it's the greatest joy. Some of you, it's the greatest feeling I have in my life. Like, you know, my background of like drinking and drugs and like trying to get the best, like this is the best high in the entire world that I've ever felt is when you see someone say yes to Jesus. It's the greatest joy, and God wants you to experience that by opening your mouth and proclaiming this gospel. And so just remember, guys, God's primary way of working is to use his people to save other people by bringing the message of the Savior. And this is why our church exists, to be those people. I mean, think about it. I was talking with Ronnie just the other day. It's like, how did we start this church Right, we didn't go out and like buy a helicopter and, and buy a bunch of those like fake monies that say billion dollar bill, Jesus is better, right? right? We didn't, and if you use Bible tracks, like that's fine, okay? But we, we didn't go rent a helicopter or do a flyover of the city and just litter it with a bunch of Bible tracks in the hopes that someone would be like, you know what? Jesus is better than a billion dollars. I don't know why I didn't know that, right? No. The people moved here eager and ready and filled with love to share the gospel in their life for the glory of God and the good of this city to see people say yes to Jesus. And people came here and they limped into the city as broken men and women with a great savior and they just opened their mouth and we served and we spoke and God saved. And we see this and we continue to see this. He saves. Guys, here's the awesome part of this. I mean, that's awesome enough. Right? I mean, we can stop and whoever keeps saying amen over here could keep saying that, right? But there's more. Here's the awesome part. Guys, when we do this, something amazing happens. I'm going to show you, okay? You can read it later. Maybe a connection group this week. You can, you can do this. In Acts 17, all right? We're going to be in Acts. I keep referencing Acts. 
But in Acts 17, we, we get a picture. So Acts is a, is a historical book. It shows us what happened after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and how the early church came to be. All right, in Acts 17, we get this picture of what happened in Thessalonica as Paul was doing ministry, as he starts a church there. All right, in Acts 17, we see that, that Paul walks into Thessalonica. All right, and these people, these religious leaders are, are looking for him. They're trying to arrest him and to kill him. And they see Paul walking with his band of brothers, not super impressive, but filled with love, with the gospel on their tongue. And these guys, they don't know what else to say, but they just point. And look at Acts 17, verse 6. This is what they say when they see Paul. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They didn't know how to articulate what was happening around this guy. They knew that he was sharing this message of Jesus and he was supposedly loving people and he walks into this town. They don't know how to label it, but they said, that's what he's doing. He's flipping the world upside down. Because you want to know what a flipped world looks like. You're looking at it. Jesus has totally flipped my world upside down. A man named Andy moved towards me. And he shared the gospel, the gospel of God with me for many years in college. And God grabbed a hold of me. He opened up my eyes. I saw his glory and everything has been different. God wants to, to continue to use us so we can see more and more people happen. And if we went around the room and had a share time, it's almost tempting, right? That we could share and every one of you who are a Christian, you would come up here and basically say the same thing. Someone moved towards me, came into my life and shared with me and everything changed. You share the gospel. This is how it works. And this is the greatest joy. And so here's my question, Doxa. This is for you. Who has God put in front of you? Who has God put in front of you? A family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor? Who is it that you know, maybe you just kind of walk by like they're a tree every day. You kind of see that they're existing, but you don't really engage with. Like, who is that person that is, has intersected your life, that's in front of you right now that you need to put down your phone? You need to look at them in the eye and start a conversation with them. Who is that? Because you just need to know this, guys. We come to this place and we're thanking Jesus for giving us life. Those people are not going to know the Jesus that you know. They're not going to celebrate the Jesus that you celebrate. They're not going to experience the life that Jesus has given you unless you move towards them and open up your mouth like Paul and give them the gospel of God. Look at, listen to this, Romans chapter 10, Paul says this. Shane read this to introduce that song. Paul says, how then will they call on him? Think about, I want you, as I read this, I want you to think about the face of that person that's in your life. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. These, we found, Jesus found us and gave us life, gave us the greatest message. And he's saying, 
there's all these people in front of you and around you and there's no way they're gonna know unless God's people go. And when we watch God save, those people see how beautiful the feet are that those who bring the good news. So three practical things for us, guys. Three things for you to just walk out of here with. Number one, as you're thinking about who that person is, number one, pray for that person. Because I have like, I have some like really godly women in my life, two of which are sitting in this room. My wife, like, she's just a prayer warrior. She prays. And like, I, I talk about her. I have a ton of meetings. I mean, we meet a ton of people. And just the other day, I don't even remember what context, but I was like nervous about something. And she was just like, dude, just pray for an opportunity for God just to open up a door. You know, Amelie Parmelie on staff with our church, another one of the godliest women I know. I mean, everywhere she goes, she just pray. Like she literally, she's not doing the Christian game of like, oh, I'll pray, right? She's praying and just begging God everywhere she goes. Like, God, just give me an opportunity. I'm not even joking. Like every time she gets on a plane, she like shares the gospel and someone gets saved, right? She's like, I just ask God, right? Pray for those people. Pray. Number two, go to that person. Go to the person that's in front of you that God has intersected your life with. And this is where many Christians stop. You're like, okay, I got the praying thing, but this whole thing, man, that's going to be weird. I don't want to be obtrusive. Like, you know, I, I can't do that. And we stop here. Go. Move towards that person. If somebody wouldn't have moved towards you, you might not be sitting here today. So you pray for that person. You go to that person. Number three, tell them about Jesus. Because love them enough to tell them about the Savior, that out of the overflowing love of God in your life, open your mouth and share the love of God. And share it out of your brokenness. Don't act like you got it all together because we know that you don't. I don't. You're not like perfect. You're a Christian, which means that you're just jacked up, but you're saved now. And so speak with that humility. You go and you just say, guys, here's my life and here's what Jesus has done and you share as a beggar because God is the one that saves and because God is the one that saves, guys, here's the awesome part. It takes the pressure off of us that it doesn't matter how it's received, right? And we don't have to worry about the outcome because God is the one that's gonna do it and we get to watch him do it. Guys, this is what we do as a church. This is how we partner with God to see people meet Jesus. And as we continue to do this, guys, we're going to have the great joy of watching him add more and more people to the family of God, sharing the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. Let's pray. God, I, uh, yeah, even as I'm talking about how the gospel moves people towards people, I just want to thank you for, for Andy in my life. God, that you broke in and you, you saved just a messed up dude like him. But he experienced your love in such a way that he just came to me. And he did what Paul did. He was gentle with me. He, he loved me. He shared the gospel in his life. And God, you used that in a way to save me, to bring me to the place I am today. Not who I need to be, but not who I once was. And so, God, thank you for Andy's faithfulness. Thank you for, for saving me. God, I think about, like, the people 
in my neighborhood, the people in my gym that, that they just don't know you. God, we just beg you. I beg you that you would help us to just be people, that as we think about those people that are in front of us, that you would just cause us to be people that live like Jesus. God, as we look back in like 20 years after Doxa has existed, that we would just say, oh my gosh, God flipped the world upside down here in Madison by just that small group of people, broken, sinful, but crazy in love with Jesus. And they love people and they went. Would that be just the story that we get to tell and we get to experience? Let us experience that joy. And I pray God, as, as you have highlighted those people in our lives, that don't know you, but they're in our lives, that you would just help us to just be so overwhelmed, so stirred by the love of the gospel of God that we would just love those people enough just to open up our mouths this week. Help us to be that church.